A and S. Rock and roll, baby. Chuck I imagine Raylan Rabaka welcoming Dion Sanders to the opening of the cause or Center for African and African American Studies. He exudes generosity to an equally magnanimous coach prime and their laughter fills the halls. Someone shouts, hey, Batman and Robin. And Prime asks, who's Batman? Without hesitation, Raylan looks at Sanders and says, I'm Batman. Coach Prime says, you're Batman? And Raylan replies, oh, I'm Batman. So-called black studies classes in African-American studies. I'm letting them know I came here to help. I'm trying to rescue and reclaim my humanity, and I'm going to help you rescue and reclaim yours because the more you hold on to I can't imagine a time in which Raylan isn't a superhero. This is a man who has published 17 books, records music, went to high school with the likes of Erica Badu, whom he comfortably flirted with, and now, after more than 20 years at CU Boulder, has worked with students to found a center committed to transformation and anti-racism at the university. Rayland is a force for good, who brings together people and ideas to build better communities. I love this human and can't wait for you to meet him, although many of you have, because he's everywhere, like Batman. On the ampersand, we call this bringing together of the impossible, the alchemy of anding. Together, we'll hear stories of humans who imagine and create by colliding their interests. Rather than thinking of and as a simple conjunction in that conjunction-junction kind of way, we will hear stories of people who see and as a verb, a way to speak the beautiful when you intentionally let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. As St. Mary Oliver asks, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Oh, I love this question. When I'm mothering, creating, and collaborating, it reminds me to replace a singular idea of what I think I should become with a full sensory verb about experiencing. I'm Erica Randall. And this is Dr. Raylan Rabaka on The Ampersand. I will start by saying that only you can get this out of me. I'm a very, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an incredibly private person, I, I think because I share so much of my life with the public that my grandmother, bless her heart, always says, save some of yourself for yourself, baby. Mm. You know what I mean? And I, for a long time, you know, I'm trying to transform myself in the process of transforming the world, you know, or vice versa, actually transform the world in the process of transforming myself. And I want you to know, and I think you know me well enough to know that I'm more interested in the process than I am the end product. Yeah, that's why I want to get into the fabric, yeah. I, the weave. Yeah, so I, mean, I think that's why I love teaching, and I really don't consider myself a teacher. I consider myself more a sharer. I consider myself more in the the style of Ella Baker, one of my idols uh, from the civil rights movement, from the women's liberation movement. Ella Baker helped the young folks start SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And she really saw herself more as a facilitator, right, than an educator. Now, she's educating, but for me, there's more of a reciprocal thing. I think you know that anybody that takes a class with me actually ends up teaching me more than I ever. Every time. I think share with them. Yeah, I feel that So 
in an effort to not be evasive as I usually am. See, if it was somebody I'm else. I know, but we'll go so far left that we'll circle all the way back to Texas. And you're talking about the women's movement yeah. and that your mom and grandmother yeah. were the first to bring you into that. That came. Well, and is that true? Yeah. Well, through the church. So my first love, you know, is gospel music. So I grew up as a youth minister of music. My mother is, is actually a womanist theologian. So my mother is the minister, you know, everybody kind of knows I'm a PK, which means a, a <laughs> preacher's kid. kid. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, I think they just assume that it's my pops, but it's actually my mom's. Mm -hmm. And so that shapes not only your spirituality, but also a gender consciousness because of the way that women are treated in the church, yes. the way that women are erased. And so my first love remains Mahalia Jackson, mm -hmm. uh, Albertina Walker, mm -hmm. Shirley Caesar, mm -hmm. uh, Clara Ward. These are the kinds of folks my mother, my grandmother were listening to. James Cleveland, mm -hmm. Thomas Dorsey. I could just, I could do this all day, but we ain't got all day. No, you know what well, I mean? But it, to get this litany out. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, it's really important to roll call that, that I, I think that probably unlike a lot of other, you know, African-American musicians, my first music, my first musical love was and remains gospel music every day before I listen to anything secular. I listen to a gospel album, you know, so after my prayers and my meditation, I start with the, the music. So African-American sacred song is my foundation. And in fact, I mean, oddly, I will be keynoting the National Spirituals Conference this month at the University of Denver. And they know that I have a love affair with First and foremost, the spiritual. So what they used to call Negro spirituals, this is the music, the soundtrack of our enslavement. You know, the the these are songs of not simply heavenly salvation, but earthly liberation. And so for me, there's always been a connection, at least from the from the African American church I come out of, there's always been a connection between the social gospel and social justice. Yes. That that that, that there's no way we can talk about spirituality that is removed from the material, the actual physical world that we live in. And so after gospel, Erica, I, I grew up so poor that as strict as my mother was, she allowed me to play jazz because when I was nine years old, I got my first $100 bill for playing a jazz gig. I thought it was m Monopoly money. I, I didn't know it was real you money. You hadn't seen a hundred. I'd never seen it. Come on, I'm nine years old. You know what I mean? I'd never seen. And you got it in your hand. Yeah. I mean, they. That and was I, it. I gave it to my mother. She hugged me. She held me. It was a real. It was a real. It was. It's a bittersweet moment because when I look back, and just to be real with you, that's also probably the day my childhood ended. You know, you can't just be a little kid when when you fixing to help your mama make rent from now on. So as long as you didn't miss Wednesday night prayer meeting, choir rehearsal and church on Sunday, then you can go and swing. Right. And I was part of a generation where they were calling, you know, there was like a jazz renaissance going on, you know, with folks like Wynton Marcellus, Branford Marcellus, Roy Hargrove, who I went to high school with, by the way, who I went to high school with, Roy Hargrove. Growing up in Texas. Yeah, Texas jazz. Um, how does those how did that connect? Well, having part of, you know, part of my family being Creole folk from next door in 
Louisiana. Yep. And so going back and forth to the Jazz and Heritage Festival in Texas, hearing gospel, hearing blues, just as much as I'm hearing jazz and R&B and funk and soul and hip hop. And th- let's not forget the Caribbean influence, reggae music, right? Well, so, reggae, that was my soundtrack was Donna Summer, my mom, Donna Summer. Beautiful. Bob Marley. Yeah. And then like full English hippie Cat Stevens. Okay. And I'm so, <laughs> wait, uh, wow world, anybody? Oh my, I mean, all of it. I, I love it. Cat Stevens. All of it. Who don't even have that name anymore? Who's no. playing well, reclaim? You know what I'm saying? I know, and he he's been moving back. He's, yeah. yeah, it's just beautiful though. I mean, I but think the reggae, right? That it's it's absolutely there. That was in your house, or that was in your head and heart. Th- that was in my head and heart more. I think that I think that being a kid from the projects and going to all art conservatory school. So I didn't go to regular school. So I never went to a school with a football team or a basketball team or something like that. So I went to all art schools. And so at the time they would allow sort of one African American per grade. So these are the elite suburban schools where people got is this Mrs. Robinson's classroom? Uh that was first grade. That yeah, was first grade. That, that, that was first grade. And so those schools K through twelve were all art okay. schools. So I literally spent the bulk of my youth training to be a musician and the way that they trained me, Erica, you gotta be able to play everything. So I played Klezmer, I played polka, I played country and western, I played Tejano, I played Bar Mitzvahs, I played on top of all of the jazz and the gospel and the the blues and the soul and the funk, baby, the funk, baby. <laughs> oh the funk, you know. And so for me, it's that versatility I think that's actually what allowed me to go from the projects to the professorate where I'm at today. That versatility of thinking, of thinking with. But it opens you up, though, yes. oh, right? Yeah, because, correct. Yes. Oh, here's, here's the thing, and I really, really want to stress this, and I think maybe this is why somebody like me is able to be on the faculty at the University of Colorado for nearly 20 years. In the schools that I went to, especially by the time I get to junior high school and high school, mm-hmm. there's this weird inversion of the junior high school and high school experience. So your popularity isn't based on what kind of car your parents drive or how much money they have in the bank account or how big your house is. It's based on your talent. It's based on your gift. So guess who was the most popular? <laughs> I said popular. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Kid in school. I went to high school with Erica Badu. I graduated from that same high school as Nora Jones. Nora Jones Wait. went to Interlochen, which was my, that's you, you my home. Mm-hmm. I, feel uh, I you. went to the same high school as Edie Brickell. What? Right? Because, um, and talk about an Ander and the new Bohemians. You see what I'm saying? I know. Well, so there was a lineage, and so there absolutely. was an expectation or just a, a mentoring or a, was there pressure in that world if you're coming through? Or were you the pressure? Because you came through well, and I, I think set the stage. When, when, when your family's depending on you to eat. Yeah, you gotta, right? that's the pressure. I mean, so I think for a lot of the other kids, this was a hobby. But for me, this was the way that I was going to literally swing myself from the projects into an arts conservatory university, an arts conservatory college, so on and so forth. Got accepted to CalArts, got accepted to most of the, I mean, I I don't know what school I did not get accepted to. Well, and at the end of the day, because you had all these these, um, capacities, did you feel like, uh, the pressure's on me to get a job in music or now I've got these opportunities, I need to shift to something more stable, air quotes. If I if I can be honest with you, I think because I'm first generation, I think folks were just happy I was going. I did get some of the, you sure you shouldn't be a business major? You did get some of that. Okay. Oh, oh okay. Okay. definitely. <laughs> like, what on earth are you going to do with a music degree? Was that, was that mom or was mom no, always in the corner not, for you? No, nah, it was more my, my, my grandmother. My mother's, in some ways, a spiritually speaking, a very free 
spirit, interfaith, open to a lot of things. And to be honest with you, I'm probably the 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 daughter my mother never had, right? So I'm I'm my mother's middle son. So I have an older brother and a younger brother. And I can't believe you're getting all this out of me. I'm a very private person. <laughs> Shout out to Robert and Randy. Th- that is their name. My older brother's the Robert. Three R's. <laughs> yeah, and, and they got the more conventional. I mean, both of them are named after their fathers. And my and mother just went left you. the field. Yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I can rock and roll. You're right. always going left. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I'm left-handed. And, and when I found out Jimi Hendrix was left-handed and Barack Obama's left-handed and W.E.B. Be Du Bois was okay. Well, we're gonna okay. Bookmark on Du Bois. Okay, so then I gotta get back. We're gonna go back to Texas one more time, and I want to talk about um, Mrs. Robinson because if you're gonna say Du Bois, she was the first person to say that name to you. And can you tell me the story in a way you've never told the story before, so you can hear it? Ah, Because it's a good story. You know, I think that that being precocious and and really, you know, when you when you grow up in the church like I did. And you start playing. I mean, I was so young, they sat me on phone books. So in the African-American church, they actually cultivate, quote unquote, giftedness, talent, talentedness. I'm making up words for you. We like that here. And it's one of those things where there's a unique culture within the African-American church of, they say in terms of our gifts and our talent. Number one, Erica, I believe, and you can see this is what works for me as a, as a professor, all of us, right? For I mean, in, in African-American church culture, it's the cultivation, it's the nurturing yes. of no, every, everybody's gifted. See, God don't play favorites. Yeah, God's right? given everybody. Right? So everybody, but if you don't use it, mm-hmm. you lose it. If you don't consciously develop it, so all those hours I'm sitting there practicing, right? When the other kids had video games, you know, we I used to feel... Hmm. Tight because they could play Sega and all the I don't Atari and all the cool games. You know we didn't we didn't have that Commodore right? sixty four. Yeah, you, you see, <laughs> so we didn't have all of that kind of yeah. stuff. I wasn't able to see Jordan, right? Do yeah. all of those crazy because we didn't have the TV wasn't on most of the time, right? So I mean, even if you have a TV, it's got the little antenna, you know, with the with the clothes hanging off in it, uh, with the fall on the back of it and everything. But if you don't have your electricity on, right? If you don't have wa- you know running water, uh, so on and so forth. And so I think that a lot of the time where I felt tight, I felt maybe a little economically traumatized, humiliated, demoralized. I was in that practice room. I was I was knuckling and brawling, uh, attempting to evolve myself. And the reality of the matter is I had a, it was a multiracial, multicultural group of teachers that, that nurtured this talent. So on the one hand, I just want you to hear yes. foundation and please let's, let's it's get it straight. Yeah. Foundation is the African-American church. Yes. However, yep. but the church sends us out into the world. As you know, one of my favorite spirituals uh, is called go and see the world. And this is something my grandmother will sing to me, right? Often she sings and often, certainly if I get weird, I just say, mama, will you sing to me? And she will sing. She's still here to sing to oh, you. My grandmother. I'm sorry, this makes me emotional. My grandmother turns 96 tomorrow, and my grandmother is one of the great loves of my life. I mean, the other, of course, being my, my other grandmother and my mama. Uh, my grandmother, uh, I think you can do the math. If I'm from Texas, my grandmother's 96. Juneteenth was issued 158 years ago, so my grandmother's grandmother was enslaved. So it's not a coincidence that I would come out you know, an African-American studies professor that I speak with love laced words that I'm trying to bring some level of human understanding to what's going on that even, you know, the 
rapport, the bond that we have, that culture, Erica, taught me to also check for your life and your struggles. See, it's not just about me. That's when you we. say Ubuntu in your signature. You see what I'm saying, yes. right? So yeah. uh, how can I you am and because I... You are. There you go. Uh, so I am because we are. And how can you and I rescue and reclaim our humanity together yeah. with, instead of avoiding my Africanity, the fact that I'm African-American, what happened if we put that front and center and do it in a way that's not antagonistic to you? And I acknowledge, as I just spoke to you, asking about your mother, asking about your son and so on. The, the humanity, right, the right. shared humanity that we have, that's, for me, that's 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 what it means to come out of Texas, right? I mean, th- this is the state that uh, Juneteenth is all about. Uh, this is the state where I grew up with nine HBCUs that I could throw a rock out of my grandmother's yard and break a window at an I didn't do that, yeah, but you this do is it, how you close the mm-hmm. HBCU right is. Yep. That I grew up seeing African American youth with books and 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 dress smart and the richness of that, Erica, and also the fact that I didn't grow up in an all black neighborhood, right? So I grew up surrounded by Mexican Americans. I grew up surrounded by uh, Asian Americans, uh, some indigenous folks, right? Because again, you got New Mexico on one side, Oklahoma, Arkansas. I could just go on and What's on. What's the and co- on. what corner were you? Uh, Dallas. Dallas. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's yeah. gonna be the north. But let me answer about Miss Robinson. <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Robinson, my first grade teacher. Yeah. I was, again, young and precocious, a ball of energy. Yeah. My mother would always say, whatever you give the other kids, you need to give him three times as much. Mrs. Robinson knew that she could speed dial my mother. In fact, all she needed to say was, don't make me call your mother. And I would, you know, back down. So Mrs. Robinson, it's, it's Black History Month. Mrs. Robinson has these little, almost like placards, uh-huh. larger than a postcard size of different Black History Month figures. So, you know, Ella Fitzgerald was on one, let's say Billie Holiday, you name it. Uh, Jesse Owens, Paul Robeson, Zornir Hurston, Langston Jackie Hughes. Robinson. You, you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so everybody, I I thought I should get Duke Ellington yes. or Billie Holiday or Theo Lawrence Monk, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, Charles Mingus. I could just yeah. do this all day long. <laughs> and I sit up here, I thought at that time, this is my little first grade mind. So, you know, just bear with me. I got a Frenchman. Uh, Dubois. Dubois. Right? Yeah. Uh, because, again, I got some Creole folk right on the other side. And I stormed up to Mrs. Robinson's desk. You know, you know how you know how kids can be. And I can't believe it. It's Black History Month. Everybody else got black people. And I got a white man. I got a French man named Dubois. You know, and everything. And she gave me a good talking to that changed my life. And this is the power of teachers. And she said, Raylan. If you spend as much time actually reading as you do sitting up here trying to uh, criticize my teaching and what I'm doing, if you don't go sit down, I'm going to call your mama, boy, you know. <laughs> and so I ran back to my desk, sat down, read the card uh, and everything. You know, I still had my lips stuck out, but I read the card or whatever. And the more I read, the more fascinated, the more intrigued. It actually said that Du Bois went to an HBCU, Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, so, again, I, my grandmother lives within walking distance of an HBCU. I'm thinking, wow, wait, what's going on? Then I come to find out that this person had achieved two bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees, and the equivalent of two PhDs. One of them he studied at the University of Berlin. In how many different disciplines? Oh, uh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I th- four yeah. different disciplines that he wrote his first dissertation at the University of Berlin in German. 
So traveling, that also impressed so me. So the world opens. Right. Yes. Right. A whole nother world. Yep. Um, the fact that he was well-traveled, well-read. When I saw photos of them, Eric, he was well-dressed. And then there was a connect from the preachers that I'm seeing in the African-American church to the jazz musicians. They're also dressed. Miles Davis got, what, GQ, Man of the Year. It Was it 10 times in a row? At least seven times in a row. I mean, this guy was clean. Yes. Um, and so for me... Learning about Du Bois and the fact that he connected his intellectual pursuits with his social justice pursuits. This person, not only, you know, he founded sociology in the United States of America, he also founded the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, uh, February the 12th, 1909. And then I found out, Erica, later on, now this is later on, Mrs. Robinson walked me into the library where there was Mrs. Leesner, right? My librarian at the time. And she just said, hey, if you really want to read something, here's some of his books, right? Of course, I couldn't make them through it at the first grade. So once they got the children's level book about Du Bois's life, I... I think I kept that checked out. It just said stamp. You know what I'm saying? You know, and it changed my life, to be perfectly honest with you. So not only was he an intellectual, not only was he an activist with the NAACP work. 1909. Right. Right. I find out that he wrote five novels. The novels is what blew my mind. You introduced that to me. That Um, was a gift from you. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And that he's writing. And in the novels, he's also bringing his story forward. There you go. And that is such a potent way of expressing historical fiction sociological fiction like I didn't even know such genres existed and it feels like they really were born of the black experience there you go yes absolutely it's what uh, Eric it's what we would call Afro-modernism. And I think this is what explained my preoccupation with the Harlem Renaissance and in fact many people say that Du Bois's uh, 1903 classic The Souls of Black Folk was a precursor Mm-hmm. to what happened 15 years later with the beginning of the Harlem Renaissance. That, that right? is where I was like, this was just already coming. This was like, here's your model. Here's your map. There you go. And when you talk about him being proto-interdisciplinary and proto-intersectionalist, and on this podcast, a proto-ander, because he is like making it up, making it up yes. and transforming through that, that not need to categorize, right? I think this is where I get in trouble at CU. You know, you are talking to somebody, you know, ethnic studies is rostered in social science, but you're also talking to somebody who's a core faculty member of humanities. Did you know that? I'm in the humanities. I do know that. I'm a professor of Of humanities. Yeah, that's like, that's realness. And so for me, Du Bois is a model, an incessant model, because Du Bois was able to be a social scientist, so an intellectual a, a artist, right? Five novels, nine volumes of poetry, three dozen short stories, two dozen plays, right? I could go on and on and on. And an activist. So for me, I mean, those are, maybe those labels fit what I'm up to best, intellectual, artist, activist, right? Maybe those three things I'm kind of cool with, but I don't want people to silo me off into only one of those. And I'm looking at these incredible personalities of the Harlem Renaissance and the way that Langston Hughes was a poet, a novelist, a playwright, an essayist, a, a travel logist. Uh, I could just go on and on and on. Hurston, oh my Lord. Hurston, a novelist, a short story writer, an essayist. An ambassador. A, a choreographer, a singer, a cultural anthropologist, a folklorist. I could just go on and on and on. And I think, Erica, has the Academy forced folks like you and I to reduce 
ourselves in order to fit into these little tenure schemes. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that that is one of the things where, where, where this notion of pushing the idea of we are more than just the category we got hired and has felt so critical to me, but we have been stuck into a, a, a frame, and I, it's, it's just. And they force, they force you to in order oh. to achieve tenure. Now, the second some folks achieve tenure, they explode. Kind of, yeah, and then you can kick back. And they're like, oh, look what you're... No, you're like, I've always been into this. I was always doing this trouble. Did you feel a freedom or did you come in with it? I, You know what? I think I'm not a good example just because African-American <laughs> studies yeah. is always left to feel in the American Academy because of how Eurocentric, heteropatriarchal the American Academy can be. So my feel has always been, I'm going to say it slowly, Erica, transdisciplinary. By that, I, mean, I know I'm using $5 words. Wait, hold on. Wait, just, just hold on. By transdisciplinary, I mean I'm in a field, I'm in a discipline that is, that transcends and transgresses the borders and boundaries, the very artificial and arbitrary borders and boundaries of academic disciplines. What if my, what if African American studies is more about the community than it is the campus? What if African American studies is actually about me literally being a bridge from the community to the campus, from the campus to the community? You see what I'm saying? And you're doing it. You have you have like sprinkled the magic that goes, oh, look, the bridge was here. And now we all see the bridge where you always saw the bridge. You walked the bridge. You were on the bridge. You brought people to the bridge. Now the rest of us, slower than you, <laughs> see the bridge. And it's beautiful. You all have been inspirations, though. I see myself as a bridge builder. I think that... Uh, just like anything, it, it requires ongoing maintenance. So to receive the emails from you, to receive the, 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 the hugs and the love that I receive from you and so many of my colleagues on that campus, I think it's important for me to emphasize that my worldview, my position is that the glass is actually half full as opposed to half empty. And I cannot live and work in Boulder and have an antagonistic relationship You'd be with, uh, you know what? I would have a heart attack oh, you if I can yeah. be honest You'd with you. Tired. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm just too much of a sensitive soul. I feel like Marvin Gaye. You know, when he says we're all sensitive people with so much to get, understand it. Um, but I, I think it's <laughs> don't start and then stop. Don't start and then stop. <laughs> you better watch that. You better watch that. Because we haven't even gotten oh. to talking about all the things yet when it comes to music. I think that for me, if I can, if I can be honest with you, it's the music that actually has helped me sustain myself out here it's therapeutic hey erica even though i live in one of the most vanilla environments on the face of the earth yes. where i can go sometimes days and never see another african uh, african-american person the music for me to be able to bump the new kendrick lamar the second it comes out in in in, in south central yeah. where he from uh the fact that i can bump that new beyond my students just bum rushed into just my office. Just came in with Beyonce. Just, I, I, didn't know the album I didn't even know that I was in a meeting. I didn't even know the album dropped. They took over my office and but they see, had you a give that hope because your students, they the fact that you come in with a glass and that it's half full, and then you have a pitcher over here for their glasses. Absolutely. And, and so I'm, then they know. And I let them know that they actually teach me the fact that, you know, when, when the new J. Cole dropped, when, when the new whoever it is, like they keep me here. If you want me teaching hip hop at a high level, make a contribute. Don't just take the class contribute to the class and it's that very reciprocity yeah. right it's that reciprocity that that's at the heart of my pedagogy and in fact I want you to know you already know this 
for me, teaching is an art. So I'm still an artist. I mean, I was talking with Rennie Harris. We did a, a mini doc on Hambone, on the dance Hambone. You sent it to me, remember? Yes. And, and it was now, jamming. It's, now it's better. It's okay. done. Can so you I send me a new new? I'm getting the sound balance. I'm not <laughs> okay. sending you the unbounce. Okay. And and thinking about the way that these stories, that how we, Rennie said a thing that was just so real. And in dance, this is the truth. And in music, this is the truth. That the people who oppress us are also learning from us. So as much as they're taking, they're also learning. And then that is where, that's how our country was made. And it's made on the on the pains and the backs and the crimes of so many. But there was also exchange. Absolutely. And if we don't honor that right. in these independent states, we're not honoring the true exchange of our intellectual and our spiritual connection. I agree. To one another. I agree. Even in the harm. I agree. It's 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 a mosaic, yeah. right? We actually live in a multicultural society, although there's some people who act like it's mono, like one culture, and we actually have many different cultures that are coming together. We have one of the great uh, human experiments throughout human history here, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. And my commitment, my work, uh, my brand new center, as you know, could be called uh, the Center for Rehumanization. Mm-hmm. And that's not just for African-Americans, not just for black folk. No, I mean, the film got... talks about that, like, y'all are welcome. Right. You see what I'm you saying? Wanna, you want to heal, you want to do the work. If you come if you, in here, if then, you want to if learn. If you want to learn. Right? Because if... we, they are banning. You're not hearing about them banning other fields. They're banning African-American studies in Florida. We're here in Colorado. We're going to build it up. We're going to build a bridge from many different communities if people really, really want to know. I do think it's shameful if they create a situation where people have to pay $30,000 to get, you know, to go to college uh, to get access to African-American stuff. That's shameful. That's Something shameful. is yeah. wrong yeah. Uh, with that, to be perfectly honest with you. And I think that's why you also see me in the community so much because what I'm trying to do is be a resource for Boulder County, for the Denver metropolitan area, for the great state of Colorado. You hear me? I want to shout I out do. the governor I know, who I know. <laughs> spread in some love. We spread in so center. much love. <laughs> yeah, but we've got so much to do. Oh, Did we you, got a long way to go. In order to keep up this energy, because you have to keep up this energy, and you talk about music as that, that like soul intervention, that that is the thing that has got you through and kept you alive. One is of One of them. One of them. Is that... Was it like the next obvious, like I, or was it just that I need this project, this writing about women of soul and funk and disco? Did that, what did, where did that come from that space of yeah. giving back to those women and those stories? Yeah. And my mother and, and them, I mean, my, mom. my, my mama will turn, I mean, I'm not going to be able to play this podcast for her now mm, uh, until until December. Um, <laughs> so my 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 next book uh, is called Black Women's Liberation Movement Music and First and foremost, I'm actually uh, talking about the fact that there was a black women's liberation movement, that there are a lot of uh, African-American women, or a lot of African women uh, who are very committed to, first and foremost, women's decolonization before we can ever achieve women's liberation. So that that's the first part. And the fact that a lot of the sentiment of the women's lib movement is expressed through, this, here's the subtitle of the book, Soul Sisters, Black Feminist Funksters, and Afro Disco Divas. So soul music, funk, and disco between 1967 and 1979, there are subtextually lots of gender celebration, oh, yeah. critique, oh, yeah. commentary, yes. affirmations that Lynn are going Collins. on. You, you see what I'm saying, Thanks. right? I mean, so it's really, really powerful, <laughs> it's powerful. to be perfectly honest with you. I'm actually writing a history of this movement 
through its songs. Which is what? Okay, so tell me, who are these historical figures? Can you uh, shout out? Let's yeah, absolutely. Go, let's go. But in terms of Soul Sisters, Aretha yeah, Franklin and Nina Simone, oh, right? This me. is in that phase. Etta James, Etta. Tina Turner. I got a chance to see her a, a lot uh, coming up and phenomenal but certainly a, a song keep going though I cut you off just, no 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 okay. just, just a, even a song like Aretha Franklin's Respect 1967 that song was considered an anthem for the end of the civil rights movement yes. it was considered an anthem for the black power movement and it was considered an anthem for the women's liberation movement I mean this just shows you the universality and the power just of one yeah. song during that period so Soul Sisters I said uh, Aretha Franklin and Nina Simone for black feminist funksters Really, a lot of that starts with LaBelle. I was going to say, because that is Afrofuturism incarnate. There you go. So I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, until... definitely. Definitely. So it starts with LaBelle, uh, an artist called Maxian, okay. which most people have never, yeah. I mean, she's kind of like underground. Obviously, who they consider the queen of funk, Shaka Khan. Yeah, Shaka Khan. Uh, and then lastly, the anti-commercial queen of funk, Betty Davis, right? Who's really, really pushed the envelope on so many. Because with Betty Davis's work, she combines not simply women's liberation, but the sexual revolution of the 1970s, which is probably how a lot of us in this room got here. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> you know, but again, I, I think if we, if, we, if we really, really listen to a lot of this music, it really... We're talking about women owning their sexual desires, being able to to speak publicly and unafraid and unapologetically about their sexuality, sexual pleasures, sexual desires. And then this is how we go to my last chapter of this book, Afro Disco Divas, where I take on Donna Summer, Gloria Gaynor. Gloria. uh, You see Linda Clifford, Grace Jones, uh, Diana Ross, etc. But again, disco is even more. Why? Because I'm able to queer it to show that even though you have these uh, these Afro disco divas a lot of their audience were queer white men queer latinx men who are feeling the the realness of the world that got put forth by these goddess extremes so the universality of this music so instead of being limited simply to black women or to african-american women what about erica the universality of the african-american experience i could talk to you about my love affair again with folks like bob dylan Mm -hmm. or the beatles Mm -hmm. or the rolling (laughs) stones or Led Zeppelin or you just name it. And so I think that for me, that's what the art conservatory education allowed that I was exchanging records. I'm trading my Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trading my John Coltrane quartet, you know, take cassette because back then it was cassettes. I'm trading my John Coltrane cassette for somebody's Beatles cassette. You you, you see what I'm saying, though? And so you have this the very exchange that real universities are supposed to be about that that we can do it on equal footing. I was thinking about I was listening to Lynn Collins recently because I it, you know, think and it takes two and yeah. the whole ma- and oh, I was yeah. like oh it takes two that is everything ampersand and then I listened again to that song I was like oh my god Janis Joplin yep. was listening to go. Lynn Collins there you go and Janis Joplin from Texas by the way from Texas right? Port Arthur to be exact right outside of Houston Janis Joplin actually bought Bessie Smith <sighs> her tombstone this is how influenced she was. She knows that there's no way to talk about a pop diva in the United States of America that doesn't cannot be traced back to Bessie Smith, right? Ma Rainey before Bessie Smith, right? This is really, really fascinating because Janis Jobson, to me, also borrows a great deal from Etta James. I which can most feel people that. Won't I won't acknowledge, but for whatever why reason. Why not? I, I think that if she were still alive, she would. Don't you think she would? Oh, point? Absolutely, a- absolutely. And I think that I think this is why. 
I have a love affair probably more with the blues rock tradition coming out of Britain because folks like Eric Clampton, folks like, you know, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. Wait, the Rolling Stones name, they wouldn't even have a name. They named themselves after a Muddy Waters song, 1957, one of his first hit records called Rolling Stone, by the way. I think that we can live in a world where I like Bobby Blue Bland and B.B. King and and Coco Taylor. And I, I, I like just a lot of different... My ears are really, really big, so I'm listening to everything, <laughs> yes. and I think that there's a tendency to say, well, what kind of music do you like? And people will have to say one little That's right. you know, corporate America genre that they've come up with. Listen, don't make me start talking about hip-hop, right? I mean, the, the, excuse me, the tragedy of contemporary rap music is that I think that, as you know in my work, so I wrote uh, the Hip Hop Movement trilogy, so I wrote a, a trilogy on hip-hop. In the trilogy, I've identified more than 75 forms of rap music. The sad reality is most people only know about two forms of rap music. They know about commercial rap, or what I call radio rap, and gangster rap. Mm -hmm. So the fact that there's queer rap, Mm -hmm. the fact that there's femcs, these are MCs with feminist sensibilities, Mm -hmm. the fact that there's Buddhist rap, there's Hawaiian rap, there's German rap, there's certainly a lot of rap all throughout Africa, Latin America. Do you put MC Light in the femc? Because she is everything to me. That's who I grew up. Oh, absolutely. And I'm also saying that I understand that just because you and I might label somebody a a quote-unquote feminist MC or womanist MC, they may never mess with the the F word, right? Meaning feminism. Right, no, no, that was Martha Graham. She's like, I'm not a feminist. Right. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, there's some baggage right now that's even been attached to that word. Especially from a black female perspective. There, there you go. And so this is what Trisha Rose's work in Black Noise, yes. uh, where she talks about a lot of them may never, like my mother and my grandmother may never use the word feminism, but they are strong, brilliant, beautiful, outspoken, assertive. These are all qualities to me, mm-hmm. uh, women, and they may never use. So we need to understand the limitations, so the pluses and the minuses of labeling, right? And how, no matter how cool and in vogue that may be on a college campus, in the community, that could play itself out very differently. And I think that you and I as artists understand whatever we think is so hip and hot and cool. It's about to change. It's already and, old. And, and that's the beauty of, <laughs> yes, though, of us being able to have day job where, where um, I mean, should I put this on the mic? Now, you are aware that they actually buy my CDs now. No, I know. See, you Boulder buys my CDs. <laughs> Yeah, because now they're like, oh, this guy, this guy? They're a little late to the party. Well, it only took me almost 20 years to hang out here, you know, for them to finally do it. They're doing it, and thank you. They're doing it, and thank you. My friend, we are at the moment of the quick and dirty. This is my favorite part where okay. I, you get to just spill and I know you can do this because you can just you can go with a litany. <laughs> and I'm going to stick to some of my questions and again, quick, not dirty or they can be dirty. Okay. Right, so I'm going to just like so some obvious that are going to be easy just to get you started. Okay, Gladys. Night. And the pips. Yeah, I'm just okay. So you see the game? Do you see it? Okay, throw so, Smokey Robinson. Oh, and the miracle. Okay, so then let's go Diana Ross. Uh, and the Supreme. Okay, then we're going to go, um, well, not everybody knows Patti LaBelle and the Blue Bell. There we go. Okay, now give me give me one. Uh, see. Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yep. And the mm, mm, people. Oh, Shiza. Oh, my God. My mother's going to kill me. Jimi Hendrix and the, the Jimi Hendrix experience. Oh Jimi God, Hendrix and the band me. of gypsies. Okay, but so then I was thinking, yeah. It's the uh, it's um it's the moving people or moving company yes. right yeah. Janet Janice Joplin the moving company okay yeah. what are some other ones we can fail at oh let's uh oh wow here we go Bob Marley oh in the Whalers okay <laughs> I got that one okay okay let's see wow, I can do this all day wait, I know wait, wait, check I know this what out. you get in the group oh my lord wait um, I know wait Michael Jackson and... okay and the Jackson Five wait, Prince and okay in the Revolution yeah we can do 
Okay, we can do this all day. Okay, okay. So two, um, if you were gonna like, are you 14ers? Are you? Do you uh, go up high? Some, or are you yeah. more? Some, sometime. Okay, so on a Sunday though, two trails you would have to hit or two locations. Oh, wow. Uh, Arapaho National Forest. I love it out there. Uh, tell them, please. I'm, I'm incognito when I'm out there, so, you know, I'm not wearing my little African beret. I'm just out there doing my thing. That's that's definitely one of them, to be honest with you. I mean, there are so many trails around here. El Dorado, I just like tricking off. I know, I love that. Well, and the water right away yeah. just hits me. Okay, another Ander that you admire someone else who's like anding in the world besides the Du Bois and all these other litanies you've listed. Michelle and Ocello. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the way that she explodes the boundaries of the music. Cassandra Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Beyonce even. I mean, I'm really, really... Listen, uh, Eric, I think that there's a, f- there's a love affair that I have with women's music mm-hmm. because I think that oppressed groups we can sing it in a way that we can't say it. So if I went out and said, like when NWA say come and F the police, Please. see, they, they can they can rip it, right. but if they say it, they might shoot they might shoot you down. I ain't going to bring but up a BLM. everyone's going to sing along with you. You, you see what I'm saying? I do. So it's one of those kinds of things where I'm really, really, I'm seeing that for a lot more queer artists. I'm really, really into queer rap. So I like Big Frida. Yeah. Um, I like Angel Hayes. I, like, I mean, there's so many of them that I teach about in my work, right? To be perfectly honest with you. And so for me, I think that, Part of it is my students are the Andors that I'm really, really into because they open themselves to me exploding their conception of rap. Like I'm pushing them to move beyond radio. I'm really into the mixtape game. I'm really in the underground rap. I'm really into experimental rap. I'm really into a lot of this left of field rap that's mixing genres far and wide. And I think that's that's what sort of even directing this center right now, when I say African-American, I think you know because you know your brother. Like, when I say African-American, I'm, it's a hemispheric conception, mm-hmm. right, of the America. So it's North, Central, and South, right, including the Caribbean islands, right? So it's a Western hemisphere conception of let's explore Africanity, Right throughout the Western Hemisphere, let's see the connections that exist literally between not simply continental Africa, but also Europe. Mm-hmm. Right? Why? Because we're I come out of an area of this country that is actually incredibly creolized. Mm-hmm. Right? And so for me, that's why jazz is such a metaphor. That's why it makes so much sense. That's why, you know, the way I was educated makes so much sense. This sort of ragtag cast of characters <laughs> that, you know, comes together to produce someone like me, not simply at home, but in the church, but also school. And so my my teachers right now have had such an incredible impact on me. Prince, I mean, a constant, you know, just somebody that constantly, I think, pushes the envelope. There's so many. I mean, in terms of rap artists, Rhapsody, arguably my favorite. I think that there are just so many of them who really push the envelope and they understand that they need to do what they got to do to be commercially viable or not. Or, and then they just sort of go left to field. So I think that they're, I'm really interested in people that take risks, people like yourself, who are not afraid to sort of get out of their comfort zone, push themselves to that next level, who are more interested in the process than the end product. I'm not, I'm not really... Yeah, I can. I mean, if you ask me about the cause and where I see the cause going five, ten years from now, I can see the endowment. But exactly how that looks and feel, that depends on the students that I'm rocking with, the staff, the community members, the allies that I'm rocking with. Yeah. So it's very open ended. That's what excites me. So if if you could send one blessing, last question forward to your students, your teachers, 
that would send them off the, you know, my Irish family would say, and may the rose, road rise to meet you. Mm. What would your, and may you, or, and shall, or, and, mm, mm, wow. yeah. Wow. Don't overthink. You got mm. it. Don't be afraid to take risks that, that for me, that's what the jazz aesthetic is about. For me, jazz isn't music, it's, it's a philosophy, it's a way of life, right? And so be open to the sound of surprise, the sight and sounds of surprise, the experience, crave it. Go out of your way to do something new. And I would also challenge them, encourage them, implore them to keep teaching me. Because for me, teaching is not simply an art, it's an act of love. That was Professor of Ethnic Studies, Rayland Rabaka, on the ampersand. To learn more about Dr. Rabaka's research and the Center for African and African American Studies at the University of Colorado Boulder, see our show notes. The Ampersand is a production of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Colorado Boulder. It is written and produced by me, Erica Randall, and Tim Grassley. If there are people you'd like us to interview on the ampersand, do please email us at asinfo at colorado.edu. Our theme music was composed and performed by Nelson Walker, and the episodes are recorded at Interplay Recording in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Erica Randall, and this is the ampersand. Ampersand.